Dear Father in heaven, thank you very much um, for your word and for the many blessings that you have given us as a people. I just want to pray, ask for your presence here this morning, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the holy angels. Please fill this place. Please work in our hearts. Please speak to us, Lord. In your name I pray and thank you. This morning, the presentation is eclectic in that we're going to talk about uh, two basic, or three actually, basic areas. I'm going to begin with discipline. My husband's going to have a short little talk on that and also how it, our characters. And then we've invited Beatrice, and she's going to share some practical tips and, and things that um, we did in the school she, did, she has done in her home. All right, so probably for parents and teachers, one of the most difficult things to address is the area of discipline. It really is. And uh, I had a teacher in college that said something that I never forgot. She said, we tend to parent as we were parented, and that is so true, at least in my case, and that could be good, and that could be bad. But the good news is that if we give our hearts to Jesus, he becomes our Heavenly Father, and he shows us how to parent. And I want to share with you this morning the beautiful counsels that we have, some of them, about parenting and dealing with our own children and our students. And they're across the board. I, I, I would say discipline. Christian parents must be united in the government of the children. Okay, I'm going to apply this to the home and to the school. First of all, if the mother and father are you not united in the disciplinary actions that are going to happen in the home, you're going to have problems. In the school, and as a teacher, before school even started, we as teachers had to provide a disciplinary plan to the principal. And you need to speak with the principal about this, and you should be united because you're going to need that backup plan. I had a uh, last year, a new teacher come to me and talk to me about this, this issue of discipline. And I told her, I gave her the counsel, you talked, it was a smaller school. It's, actually, it was Weimar Elementary School. She's going to go teach there. I taught there myself. And uh, anyway, I said, talk to your principal about these things and make sure you're on the same page, because that'll save you a lot of trouble later on, believe me, it will. Children have sensitive, loving natures. They are easily pleased, and they are easily made unhappy. That's found in three, volume three of the Testimonies, page 532. Incidentally, I don't want to have you um, do a lot of copying. My, my, I'm, I apologize, our printer is broken at home. So I can get you all these quotes. If you'd like, I, I can 
um, work it out and just get your email address and then just email them to you. <laughs> Spend time with your children. Show them affection. 3T532. Mild measures, soft answers, and pleasant words are much better fitted to reform and save than severity and harshness. 4065. Let it never be forgotten that the teacher must be what he desires his pupils to become. Uh, that's, uh, we've said that several times during the course of this uh, symposium. Children should be taught by precept and example. Similar thought, Four Testimonies 200. To deal successfully with these different minds, the teacher needs to exercise great tact and delicacy in management, as well as firmness in government, 5T89. Linking love and Christ-like sympathy with discipline. Love and kindness are worth nothing unless united with the discipline that God has said should be maintained. Do not allow children to show disrespect. Avoid using the rod if possible. Rules should be few and well considered. I, I want you to be thinking about some of these things and I'm, I'm, I'm just going, I'm reading them as bullet points. Our time is limited because I want to share other people's perspectives so you just don't get one side. We can talk about this later if you have questions, please talk to me. Rules should be enforced. Let it be a settled maxim that in all school discipline, faithfulness and love are to reign. When a student is corrected in such a way that he is not made to feel that the teacher desires to humiliate him, Love for the teacher springs up in his heart. As far as possible, let each student be called upon to do something in which he or she excels. This will encourage self-respect and a desire to be helpful. I'm going to let Rob come in here. I wanted to <clears throat> join you for one slide here, and um, uh, these are just some some, some tips to keep in mind. Um, and um, the idea here, what I want to share with you is, how do we accomplish what we're trying to accomplish? So let's uh, let's look at some things. 
Um, the curricula should be goal-oriented. The curricula should be goal-oriented. Well, what does that mean? It means that <clears throat> there should be um, a point to what we're doing. So um, when we're teaching, we should know what that point is. <laughs> we should teach to a goal. So for instance, this uh, symposium, my goal, our goal, is for you to believe that God will lead you in reforming the Seventh-day Adventist Church and or working um, yourself to uh, deliver the appropriate education. There's a reason why we're doing this. It's because we want you to take the Lord's educational plan somewhere. Well, for everything we do for the children, if you think about it, it seems like, well, we've got a lot of time with the children. We've got, you know, we've got um, six hours every day, so, so we can kind of cover this and do some of that and so forth, and it'll all get done. Well, yeah, that's kind of the traditional way, but how much better if we, if we thought this, we only have six hours, and we've got to, we want this and this and this and this to happen. Given that we want this and this and this and this to happen, we're going to teach exactly and precisely to those specific goal areas. So um, in a pattern school, you don't, the, you know, your goal is much broader than a typical school. In a typical school, you want to cover, um, you know, mixed fractions. You want to cover gerunds. You want to cover the, you know, um, the matching of the East and West Railroad lines in 1869 and stuff. So you've got your little lesson plan. And as long as you cover all those things today, you did a good job. But in pattern education, you say, yeah, of course we're going to cover the appropriate things that we need to academically, but we're not limited by that at all. We're going to do character. We're going to do closeness to God. We're going to do um, chores. We're going to do work ethic. We've got all these things. Well, those things can happen sort of accidentally. They often do in our homeschools. And thank the Lord, it seems to work pretty well. But it works even better if it isn't accidental. It works even better if you say, <clears throat> here's the character piece. You know, I think our kids are uh, in our school, Terry's school. Well, there was a time where, you know, <clears throat> when Carrie's praying, the kids are like this. Pet the dog, you know. Okay, well, this is a goal thing. Um, we want to we understand about reverence when we pray, all right? Let's, let's take these goals and then develop these little lesson plans, whether they're written or they're unwritten, and say, this is what I want to accomplish today. I noticed that Sam has an issue with honesty. I want to see if we can somehow deal with this. And so you think about how can we help Sam to realize that honesty is an important thing. And so let's, be, let's make the curricula. And by curricula, I certainly do not mean to limit it to workbooks at all. Workbooks can have their place, but the curricula includes character preeminently as well as a variety of other things. So we should say, these are the character things. These are the chore things. These are the work ethic things that we want to get in. And let me say something about that as well. Um, in terms of goals, let me suggest to you that uh, the, the preeminent goal, this will surprise absolutely no one, the preeminent goal is um, Christ-likeness. 
that is the preeminent goal. The second one, though, might surprise you just a little. In my mind, at least, the second goal, at least this was what we did in our homeschool that seemed to work pretty well, the second goal is chores. Boring old chores. Perseverance, that's the word, exactly so, perseverance. That's exactly right. Because when the child learns to persevere, learns to say, I don't like cleaning the bathroom, you know, and then move from I'm not going to, to, well, I don't like it, but I will, to, hey, I'm kind of happy with the way that floor turned out. You know, I figured out how to not get streaks on the, on the mirror, now that's progress. And when, they, when, when the character develops in that way so that chores become a pleasure, everything else in the curricula will take care of itself because everything else just becomes a chore, but not a chore in the sense of, oh, I don't want a chore like, well, of course I'll do. And so, you know, what I've noticed for properly, properly homeschooled children, when they come here and they're in my classroom, properly homeschooled children, um, they have no issues with their academics. I mean, none, none. It's not challenging to them. It's not even challenging enough. It's not, you know, if I could, I'd make their homework bigger and longer than the other students because they're unchallenged. They, they, they're, they would be bored if they didn't have other things to do with their life because they're used to doing their work. The other students who come, mm-mm. Some are, of course, but the typical freshman student is like, well, I mean, it's due Tuesday. Okay, if I get a chance, you know, crummy. That's not the way you want to be. A properly homeschooled, well, it's due Tuesday, and that's only four days away. I'm going to work on that tonight. And when they get there, and, and like they hand in their work, and, you know, a third of the class hasn't thought about it or something, they don't get it. Like, wow, they, I, the teacher said it was Tuesday. Well, because they aren't used to chores. They aren't used to working. They aren't used to delivering anything. They're used to just being a petted child, carried along by the system. Hey, you know, you turned in your homework once in a while. That's great. That's at least a B plus. No, properly homeschooled kids, you turn in your work every time. You know, that's how you do it. That's how life is. Mom makes you breakfast every morning, or maybe you make yourself breakfast every morning, but somehow breakfast gets made. So we're going to all have our part. Okay. Goal-oriented. Second thing, um, include experiences as well as subject assignments. Okay, the idea here is, you know, if you, you may have noticed on the, on the little backdrop thing in, 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 in out of there that we had up, um, our little tagline is um, education by example. I don't know if you saw that. That's pattern education. Our tagline is education by example. Well, what do we mean by that? We mean <laughs> the best education that we can give our students is example. Do I want my, my children to be able to do chores? Uh, then I'm going to do chores. I'm, they're going to see me doing chores with them. I'm not going to say, go clean the bathroom and I'll, you know, I'm going to read a book and come check on you when you're done. I'm going to be doing something too. So um, include experiences. Now, what do you think? Do you think that children learn more from growing tomatoes or reading about growing tomatoes? 
growing. And that's always the case. When I, you know, when I, when I teach here at Southern, um, I can do my little thing in front of class, you know, and the students tolerate me. But when I bring in, um, when I bring in someone from the field, I teach business, when I bring in a business person, and they talk about, well, you know, we needed to sell this, and we had a downtime, and I couldn't figure out how to move our product, and it was getting old. The students are glued, like, oh, really? Wow, you know, because they're living that experience. Where I, if I read them a book, and I say, you know what? There are seven categories of marketing products. It's like, oh, seven categories. You know, so um, let's take them uh, with us. And, of course, we all know that the garden is the very best place, but you can take them with you everywhere you know not physically so much but you can you can experience making bread together you can experience chores together you can experience forgiveness together you can experience commitment to the lord together and those kinds of things are always more valuable than reading about those same kinds of things and by the way again Remember, we're, we're making this quite explicit. We're making this quite, um, uh, quite on purpose. We're doing goals. So include experiences intentionally. You know, the easy way out for you as an educator is to say, well, you know, we're on page 37. We're going to go from 37 to 41 today. Okay, that's how school always works. It's the wrong way, but it's how it always works, and it sort of gets the job done in a sense. But... It's not the best way. The best way is experience. You know what? Um, since I teach business, I'm kind of uh, aware of some of the international marketing issues and stuff like that. Guess what? We're living in the past. Did you know that in America? We're living in the past. We're living with this kind of modality. Well, you know, we're Americans. We're rich. We can go anywhere in the world and people are going to respect us and salute us because we got money. Guess what? You know where we're getting a lot of that money from? China, Singapore. And I'm not, I'm not you know, making that up. We're borrowing lots of money. Every day, the government borrows money and then pays it back and borrows it and pays it back. But we borrow more than we pay back every single day, including this day. We borrowed money from China. Now, I don't know that because I didn't look it up, but it happens every single day, so I can tell you with confidence, we borrowed money today from China. Well, it works out. You know, we just have this, this you know, $17 trillion debt, and, and everything's fine. No, it isn't. Does that work for your MasterCard? You, you just keep adding more and more, and it always seems to work out. Well, sure it does until you get to your limit. And when you get to your limit, you go bankrupt. That's where we're headed. But this is, of course, not an ex a lecture on economics, but I'm telling you that we need to um, experience these things with our children and move ahead. Okay, now, um, vary your instructional modalities. So, you know, today I'm going to talk with the children. Tomorrow, um, tomorrow... I'm going to take them out uh, with me and we're going to fix that broken part of the fence. And then the next day I'll come back in and we'll talk some more to the children because they can handle that. And the following day, um, there's some interesting exercises that we're gonna do together. So vary your instructional modalities. 
Mm, yeah, by the way, let me just sort of t t tie that off. Um, so at, with the idea of, of, of living in the past, um, we, think, we think like this. We still think like this. And it's not, I'm, gonna, I'm submitting to you that this is not correct. We think this. Well, if I educate my children and they do well on their ACT scores and then they go to college and they're in the top half of their class in college, then they will get a good job. Uh, those days are going away. You know why? Because there are people around the globe that don't do that anymore. There are people around the globe that don't say, well, you know what? If you study Middle Eastern poetry for enough years, you get a good job. There are, there are coders in Vietnam who do a great job putting together computer programs. Why in the world would you pay someone in America five times as much as you pay the person in Vietnam? You wouldn't. Neither would I. So all those things are going to Vietnam. Well, we're at the very front end of that, so we don't feel it very much yet. But you will. You certainly will. Um, the things that you and I buy at Walmart, many of them were made in China. Is there a consequence to that? Of course there is. So in order to inoculate that kind of thing, what I want to suggest to you is make your education practical. Help your student learn how to do something because by the time they get to be, you know, let's say 30, I'm going to suggest to you that my opinion is that that will be long gone where you say, well, I don't know, I got through college, I can't do a thing, but I got my degree, I'm going to get a great job. That was true some time back. If you were in the top part of your class, you could get a great job. I have students now all the time that tell me, where am I going to get a job, Dr. Montague? And it's not going to get any easier because you've got worldwide comp competition that you don't have have anymore and it emphasizes I can make a better cell phone than you and as soon as you can make a better cell phone and it costs 10% less than my better cell phone you're gonna sell all the cell phones and I'm gonna sell none of them no one's gonna care a hoot about my academic degree they bought the cell phone that they work the best for them so a practical education is where it's at um, that's what I'm gonna suggest to you okay now um, keep aware of learning standards. Now I'm talking out of the complete opposite side of my mouth here, and I'm saying this. While I, while I do want you to focus on the practical, on the other hand, keep aware of learning standards. And what I mean by that is every state, you can look them up on the internet for whatever your state is, every state has um, expectations by grade. Okay, so first grade you should know this, and second grade you should know that, and third grade the students should know this and that. Keep aware of these things. Why? Because I think what I just told you isn't true? No, because, because we have societal expectations that are real. And so if your child doesn't, in fact, um, has no idea what a square root is, then they're going um, to be disadvantaged when they go to take the ACT test and other things that they will very likely do. Now, Dr. Jane here is a dentist. She um, could not have been a dentist and not have um, recognized some of the instructional things that um, our society requires dentists to know. Many of those things are very handy. We're all glad that our dentists have learned how to work on people's teeth and done a good job with that. We're all glad that they can read um, you know, radiographic images and see where the cavity is and all of that kind of stuff. Um, some of the stuff that Dr. Jane learned, I'm sure she didn't, doesn't need now um, for any part of her life, but if societal expectations 
are such that they say, look, you've got to have such and such an ACT score to get here, and you've got to get this kind of grade point average to get there. Let's be aware of those things, not because we want them to, to dominate our lives, but because of two things. Number one, because societal expectations are at a certain level and we need to recognize that. And secondly, because they're easy to do. So if we focus on this and say, I'm going to have a genius child and I'm going to make them, force them to learn this and that and the other thing, well, that's a big mistake. But if on the other hand we say, okay, um, first of all, we want them to understand about mixed fractions anyway. I mean, that's something we want them to know, so there's no problem with that. And some of the stuff, like let's say um, cube roots, um, not practical at all, but hey, there's a societal expectation. It'll take me a grand total of... 20, 30 minutes to go through this with my children, why not? Because in, in, a, in a proper school environment, it doesn't take long to get through most of that kind of stuff. So just aware of it, and then as you know what those things are, when you're doing the mixed fraction module, simply when you go to the kitchen to make your bread, you notice that, oh, this is a half a cup, and this is a quarter cup, and it takes two of these to make one of those. Huh, that sounds like a fraction to me. You know, easy, easy. And finally, uh, measure progress. So the idea here is if you want something to be done well, you better measure the progress. You know, um, as a teacher here, I get measured on every single class I teach. Who measures me? The students do. Every single class. And some of those measurements are, are, are downright uncomfortable, you know? Student doesn't care for the way I wore my tie, whatever. And they're, they're pretty clear with you what they don't care for. But you know what that causes me to do? It causes me to be pretty sensitive to the kinds of things that I see over and over. If a student says, listen, I couldn't figure out what we were trying to accomplish in the class. If I see that you know, several times, I'm going to pretty quick go, you know what? Huh, I better look at this piece. I better figure out what we're trying to accomplish in this class. If a student says, Dr. Montague, he just seems to ramble, you know? I don't know. Okay, I better, I better, you know, think about that. So, so measure progress. Now, measure progress on what? Well, everyone measures project on pro progress on academics, so I don't, I'm not telling you that because everyone does that. Everyone's so over-worried about that. So you'll do this automatically. Measure it on all the other things too, though. You don't have to measure it every day, but it's, you're going to have, remember, you're going to have an explicit goal here, an explicit goal that you're trying to accomplish for character and so forth and so on. So measure it. And if the best measurement you got is a subjective measurement that says, you know what, Sam, there was that problem with Sam's honesty, then at the end of the day or the end of the week, and you've been working on this honesty piece, you sit down and you measure it. And you say, you know what, are we, what are we getting out? How are we doing on Sam's honesty thing? Now, again, you don't have to necessarily make long notes, although you can. But somehow hold yourself accountable. You're trying to accomplish something. Um, Homeschool, um, pattern schools, they're not there just saying, well, we're natural, so we just let kids grow like weeds and however they turn. No, we're going somewhere. So measure your progress. And if you find, and you will find, that sometimes you didn't make the progress you hoped you would, make remedial correction. You know, say, oh, Sam's still dishonest. We have a little girl over in India um, in our, one of our schools, and she and her whole family, we, we've had several of her family, her siblings in the school, all the, all the kids have a problem with honesty. 
the, all the kids from that family have a problem with honesty. They steal stuff, they won't tell the truth, and then they get better, you know? They, 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 Jesus touches their heart and they get better, and then they kind of slip backwards sometimes. So this little girl, we've known her now for a number of years. Um, she still has a problem sometimes with honesty, but she's made a lot of progress. But I want to keep watching. I don't want to just say, well, that's the way she is, you know? I mean, she just does this. Well, that is the way she is, but let's make progress. So... Um, curricula should be goal-oriented. Goal Remember to use experiential learning all the time you can. It's a lot of work, but it's surely worth it. Vary your instructional modalities from just you know, pounding away at them. Uh, keep aware of what's out there and what the societal expectations are so that you're, you know, you're, 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 you're not feeling insecure as you move along. And then measure your progress. <laughs> All right, thank you, Rob. Oh, look. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say this engage the parents. Yeah. You know, in the in this in the school setting for as far as engage the parents, they have so many um ways in which to do this. You, know, you have the communication log, and we have what's called Agenda Mate. That's a system where you have, um, it's like a little calendar, and has the days of the week, and where the students can write their homework assignments if they have homework assignments, or if there was any disciplinary problems, the teacher would write that. The student would take it home and have the parents sign it so that um, the teacher knows that the parent learns what happened in the school, engage the parents. Okay. I don't have time to do this today. What, what I wanted to do is to talk about discipline, and that was not covered adequately. I know that we need more time for this. And I wanted to show today how to do that in the context of the garden. But I'm going to refer you to this website uh, down here. Whitney Houston. Whitney Cohen. Excuse me, Whitney, Co Whitney Cohen. I, please pardon me. It has been a rough week. And last night, to tell you frankly, I did not get to bed till very late. So I'm extremely tired today. So pardon me. That's, I'm sorry. Whitney Cohan from Life Learning Labs has done an excellent presentation, a webinar, and incorporating disciplinary measures and working with children in the garden. It is absolutely fantastic. And I want to also say many of the things, if you go there and you listen to the webinar, you can use these principles of discipline in the classroom, in the classroom, school classroom. One of which I'm just going to point out right now is when you're in the classroom or in the garden, there's going to be distractions. You know, when a kid, uh, this actually happened to me in the, in the public school. 
I had about 19 students, and it seemed like 90% of them were disciplinary issues. It was, it was quite, it was bad. Uh, it was really bad. I think 16 of them were in Ritalin. I, I just, I was just unbelievable. And so there were many distractions. I had one child throw an, uh, make a paper airplane and just throw in the class. So there's going to be distractions. In the garden, there's going to be distractions. So she makes the point in the garden, you go outside, and this has happened to me in the garden, you get a bee sting or you see a butterfly or something. Instead of saying, okay, stop, stop, we're, we're, getting, out, we're getting off task, use distractions as a teachable moment. Like, oh, look at that beautiful butterfly. You know, I wonder why it's going to that particular flower. And you just kind of bring the students around. It's a good idea. There's many, many good tips. And, and another thing she mentions, it's very true and very helpful that about 85% of the disciplinary um, problems that occur uh, could be benefited by prevention. So did you copy down that? <laughs> I just hope so, because I want to move on to um, these are some of the points that she will cover. Uh, very, very excellent. You, you, when you see it, you'll know what I'm speaking about. I just wanted to, and I just wanted to emphasize something about the agriculture in education. It is very, very important. I know Daniel has been talking about agriculture, and I want to share some beautiful thoughts, two of them, and then I'm going to let Beatrice uh, come up. Nature study and academics. Now, really think about what is being said. This is a quote from George Washington Carver. Nature study, as it comes from the child's enthusiastic endeavor to make a success in the garden, furnishes abundance of subject matter for use in the composition, spelling, reading, arithmetic, geography, and history classes. And I try to say that yesterday, um, how character development, practical life skills, and academics are all, they're foundational principles and they're all intertwined. And here he's saying working in, with agriculture, working in the garden, provides abundant opportunities for academic, for academics. Now listen to this, I like this word picture. A real bug found eating on the child's cabbage plant in his little garden will be taken up with vengeance in his composition class. You know, he's had this experience in the garden, and when he comes to write about it, he's really going to write about it because he's experienced it for himself. He would much prefer to spell the real living radish in the garden than the lifeless radish in the book. So that's true. Suppose your spelling word was radish in your book, radish. He would much prefer to the living radish in the garden. It, it just makes it come to life. He would much prefer to figure, he would much prefer to figure on the profit of onions sold from his garden than to have a, a word math problem about selling onions in the garden. You get it, right? You get it. Okay, now this next piece is what I'm going to end with. 
It's the garden, a master teacher. It's an excerpt taken from an essay by a mom, Kirsten Burhan. She writes beautifully. Listen to what she has to say and let it soak in. We've been sold a bill of goods, especially parents, about how valuable computer-based experience is. We are creatures identified by what we do with our hands. As Wilson sees it, we are cutting off our hands to spite our brains. Instructors in medical schools are finding it increasingly difficult to teach how the heart works as a pump. He says, quote, because these students have so little real-world experience. They're, they've never siphoned anything, never fixed a car, never worked on a fuel pump, may not even have hooked up a garden hose. For a whole generation of kids, direct experiences in the backyard, in the tool shed, in the fields and the woods, has been replaced by indirect learning through machines. These young people are smart, they grew up with computers, they were supposed to be superior, but now we know something is missing. I think there is a viable parallel between living foods and living education. We know how important it is to eat significant amounts of raw fruits and vegetables. Nothing feels as healthy as something that was just picked from the vine, still warm from the sun and pulsing with life. Eating living foods provides our bodies with enzymes that are not present when the same food is processed. Open up a can, you know. No matter how you package it or label it, packaged foods does not, cannot nourish us the way living food does. We must make a conscious and concerted effort in our daily habits to say no to the urge to fill our hole with prepackaged, watered-down, and altered versions of food. Likewise, we must be choosy about how we feed our minds and the minds of our children. So she's making a, a comparison contrast here. Let us choose methods of living education whenever possible and avoid watered-down, packaged, processed, disconnected from the source versions of learning. It occurs to me, as the first grade teacher sends home a thick stack of packaged worksheets home for education of my six-year-old, I'm going to stop here. How many of us have, as teachers have done that? I'm guilty. I am. So it occurs to her when her six-year-old child comes home with this packet of workbook sheets for homework, that there is a disturbing parallel between the emotional atmosphere of the cafeteria and the classroom. The processed food labels assure that it is providing the appropriate nourishment, X amount of protein, X amount of calcium, and even fortified with X amount of vitamins. But on a cellular level, you know that this isn't really food. 
not if you've ever eaten anything straight from the garden. To me, those words are beautifully written right to the point. Now, we're ready for, I told you this is kind of eclectic today. <laughs> uh, Beatrice is going to share with us um, some things that she has done in school, some practical lessons, and spiritual lessons. Good morning. Good morning. Well, um, I've come to share just a couple of more art things that we did, crafts in the, in the school with a spiritual application. And to begin, so you can have a, an idea of more or less um, things that you could do too in your school or in your home school. This is a, just a small little pattern. Uh, actually, I don't know if you can see it there. It looks like a little hook or a J, right? Well, this right here actually is representing the foot of the child. And we took in, in Miss Carey's school, um, everyone put their feet, their foot down and we traced it around. And then we were going to make little moccasins with this. So you wrap this on the, on the outer side and sort of put together, I don't know if you see it, it's a paper. It's a paper moccasin, <laughs> how, how that works out. I have a little, uh, little image here that you could. I can see it here, but I don't see it over here. Did I, did I do it again? There you go. Okay. Let's see if you see how that works. That <laughs> yeah. Okay. So more or less, that's what we we did. Um, so we we went to the to the store and we bought. Uh, I think the the material is called suede. I think so. I cannot suede, remember. Uh, and then we bought leather uh, string and. Um, Actually, we had the big cloth, and all the children did the process completely, from the small one to the bigger one. And they, you know, they put their foot down, and they would, and they would draw it. And I have pictures here of the process. Them laying down. At first, we had it in paper, and they're drawing it out. Uh, I was helping the smaller ones a little bit, but they actually did most of it, and they actually did cut it themselves, and. You see they're, they're cutting. We had uh, a special tool also that made the holes into the, into, it was hard because we thought with the, with the hole puncher it was going to be easy and it didn't work out. We had to buy another tool, but they did the whole process. And you can see them now. I have scissors in my hand, but that uh, boy has actually a needle and he's, he's sewing the leather string together. Okay. They're all, you can see that it's a little blurry, but that is the leather string. The girls were working hard. Uh, the bigger ones were more independent. They, they didn't need so much help. And then uh, I brought my children along to tutor to help the smaller ones. Okay, and there we have one boy that had finished his little moccasin. <laughs> he was really happy and actually put them on so we could take a picture. <laughs> and they were so happy. It was about to be winter. And so we had that, I don't know if you saw the cloth and the inside had this little wool in it. And then the outside, it was the brown part. 
But actually, when everything was done and they had their little moccasins on, I said, why, why should we put these on? I mean, this is not something that we're going to actually walk outside with because it doesn't have you know, a strong soul or anything. It's meant for the inside. But why should we put this on? And some would say, well, because our feet get cold and okay, and we need to warm them up. We need to protect them. Yes, we need to protect our feet. And we talked a little bit about how to protect ourselves, you know. But then I took them to the Bible and said, uh, it's interesting. I pushed that beforehand. I'm sorry. I'm not sure how to back that up. (laughs) Sorry. Thank you. In Romans um, 10, 15, it says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And I told him, you know, the Lord sees our feet beautiful. Especially, why why are they beautiful? Because those are the ones that are going to, take us to places where we can preach, where we can talk about him. And then they looked at their little moccasins and their feet in a whole different way. Wow, we really, you know, we're going to have a big work to do. So that's something that you could do. You know, you take the practical, they're learning to work, they're learning to do these crafts. I was trying to make them, like I said yesterday, useful, you know. So sure, they can make them for themselves, for their family, but they had that spiritual application, okay? Um, we have a, we did another thing too, which um, I called nature journals. Each little boy or girl, my my kids in my in my homeschool, they had a little. Uh, it was a notebook. It's a blank notebook. Okay. What I was trying to do is, how do I get them to go out in nature? And the Bible says to look at the ants and to look at you know to go into nature and meditate. How do I do this? So we're going to do an art. Uh, class, okay, and I, I gave them some rules. Well, first of all, number one, you're going to go look at something. You're going to choose something, and that something, you're going to give it a general shape. So there we went into geometry a little bit. You're either going to, for example, if you saw an apple, what would a general shape be? It would be a circle, right? So number one, you would draw on your piece of, uh, on your paper, your blank paper, you would draw, I thought I have a pencil here close to me. I'm so sorry. Uh, you would draw a circle. Okay? Okay, we could do it. Let's do it. You have a pencil there? Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So the example would be you would draw a, a circle. And then step number two, you would look at the details. Well, the apple, yes, that's the general form, but it has little details. So that means it's it's a little curved in the bottom and it has a little shape in the top and it has like a little hole here and then you take your eraser and you start erasing the things you don't want okay and you keep the ones you do want okay and then the the third part would be you look at the light and the shadow so you start shadowing up and putting the light where it's supposed to go and when you finish up with all the details, and I'm doing a rough draft here, but when you finish everything with all the details, you actually have something that looks like what? Like an apple, okay, with all the shadows and everything, okay? So that's what I want you to do, but you have to be really, really precise. Go try it and look at the details if there's a little spot here or there. So there you see the kid sitting down, and I think he was looking at a little bug, and he was trying to 
really meditate. And I said, okay, after you do that, you're going to be thinking, how do I see God in this? How does this remind me of God? Or can I find a, a spiritual lesson in it? So it was time to look at it for the details, but it was time to also learn uh, learn or, or remember things that we have studied in the past. And they were re really meditating in nature. It took a while. It wasn't five minutes. It was maybe 15 minutes. But you could do it with the older kids. You could do it with the smaller kids. There's some that were doing their thing. Uh, this nature, uh, I asked permission from my daughter. <laughs> this is her nature journal. This was an aunt. And I asked permission to read something that she wrote. This was a morning that we went out. To, it was a cool morning. And this is the top of another house. I'm sorry. You can't see it very well, but the mountains and then there was with her eraser she did some lines because it was the the rays of the sun coming out okay I don't know if you see something like that so she tried to give all those details and then she wrote the sun rising Jesus is the son of righteousness when he comes into our heart the darkness of sin goes away I want Jesus to be in my heart always where he is where he is sin cannot be Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Amen. It doesn't matter the age. They can go deep. Amen. They can go deep. Amen. So that, that is another idea, a nature journal. Um, she was 14. Okay. Um, then let's see what else we have. Okay. For the older kids, you could do art. It's also in the kitchen, okay? We've been talking about smaller kids. She wanted to go ahead and do, and do bread, but I don't know if you can see. This one looks like a, like a, um, a braid. So she took time to do the braid. There is an art. You know, we should also present our foods that are good quality, but that look nice, that look, that look attractive. Um, Another thing that I have here is uh, we used clay. We used a lot of clay to do things. This is my little boy doing things. Uh, he did a little man, too. And after we experimented with the clay and, and did that and played around with it, um, we actually, I took them to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18.6, and it says, O house of Israel, can I, can I do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. So after he really experimented with the clay, experimenting, after he played with it, and oh man, this is hard, and it crumbled up and put it back, then we talked about, we're, we're, we're the clay, and we really want the divine potter to be molding us. We don't want anything else to mold us. So we, were, we went into a spiritual, you know, deepness there. And I just wanted to show you one, uh, oh, another thing that I forgot about the nature journals. It actually did inspire my son to go beyond just what he saw. He, st he, he likes drawing now just because of that. He, he, since he experimented with the nature journals, drawing and those details, now he actually likes to do things a little more detailed and who knows maybe 
do a lot more. So from there. And how old was he when he did that? Twelve. Twelve. Um, yesterday I brought the looms. Remember the little loom that we did? And I just wanted to give you an example of how experimenting, um, letting them in good things, it can develop into more and more. So my daughter started out doing the little looms and the little hats, and she did this for a while, a year maybe, or two, and she has different little colors, and she would give them away to people that needed them. Sometimes she wanted to go to a special place or something, and she tried to sell some, but more she had been giving them away when she was smaller. And then she started experimenting. Mama, what if I join different colors together? What would happen? You know, and then here's an example of her joining colors together. Um, then she says, well, I don't want to use yarn anymore. I want to use this little silky rope now. And then she started experimenting with that. This is crocheting. And uh, it, she started about nine, going on to one thing and the other. I just want to quickly... <clears throat> show you here. This is a small string and she started doing this and connecting them together and making little mats and little things for her bed and pillows and lots of other little things, you know. <clears throat> and then she went on and she said, I'm going to make myself a... This, she was about 10 already. She did her little... She made her own little... How do you call this? Like a little sweater shawl, something like that. She did her own little thing. But then she started, Mom, I need to learn more how to, you know, the slip stitch. And I need to do this. And together we would go and, and look for people that knew how to do it. Or with my guidance, we would go on the Internet and see somebody. So she, she started making little purses and little things and just experimenting until right now. She has been doing these things. And so you know it went from a loom to something, uh, something bigger. It could become an industry for her at some not, point. Not from a can. No, not from a can. No, not from a can. Um, it's just a, an idea so you can see that small children, it develops into bigger things. You know, because she's been experimenting with it. Oh, that's fancy. Yes, <laughs> Was that just recently? Uh, this was done about two years ago. So this is something. Um, and from there, she started getting interest, interests in sewing. So this is just a night, and these are little cloths that she's put together. You can do like a little quilt thing for the bed. And from there, you know, what can you do? You start, you start them off with small things, and they're small, little wooden things, and they can go on to building and always try to apply something spiritual to it. We are a thread in all this, in all this tapestry, right? We can help in the service of the Lord. Jesus is coming soon, and you're that little thread, I would tell her. You're the thread, and Jesus is the main thread. He needs to be inside of all of our things. And she could relate to that because she was dealing with the threads and, and the yarn and all that. So those are just little ideas, practical little ideas. There's a lot more to, that you could do and apply in your homeschool or in your school. And well, God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.